Errol, have you got a mask yet? No, not yet. I think it's worth waiting to see what the spread is, you know. I, I don't think we'll need them up here in the Simpson Desert right now. Yeah, we haven't had a recorded case in the Queensland Channel Country yet, Clancy. I have a few masks. Um, I've got a few disposal ones I got from the chemist, but you guys know me. I'm, I'm quite environmentally conscious. Well, you are a high net worth individual who lives in the inner city, so I guess that comes with the territory, Clancy. Yes, which means I've ordered myself a few washable, reusable masks. From Amazon? No, 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 Wendell. Ever since Clancy chinned Jeff Bezos at the 1999 Met Gala in New York, they haven't really been on speaking or business terms. Right. Well, that was a little bit before my time, that one. Yeah, Sorry. That's, that's correct. That's correct. I won't give that man a cent. Now, these masks I've uh, just ordered online are from Budgie Smugger, who we all know and love as Australia's premier swimwear brand. What? You're wearing a pair of budgie smugglers on your face like some sort of pervert? No, budgie smugglers are making face masks right now. They're 100% made here in Australia. Not just 100% designed here as some less ethical apparel companies like to advertise. Right. Do they come in their famous budgie smuggler prints like you can get a leopard skin face mask? Yep, you can get whatever you want on them. They're fully customizable. So I could put any photo on there, like say, for example, if I took a, a picture of my cat's asshole, they could put it on a mask and they'll jiffy it up and mail it right to me. If that's what you want, mate, do it. I reckon they'd do that for you. Maybe we could get some face masks made up for the Batuta Dolphins' upcoming tour of the Melbourne metropolitan area. Yes, I'll make them up for that as well. We'll have to provide the boys with a couple firearms too for that one, I reckon. Well, I'd be getting a few done if I lived in Victoria or New South Wales. You know, and as a free marketer protectionist, I'd rather see my money going to a local business than off to some fucking cowboy. So would I. Well, you know where to go. Budgiesmuggler.com.au. They're not rip-off merchants. They're, they're honest, hard-working Australian retailers and manufacturers. So get over there. You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show recording uh, live here from downtown Batuta in the old city district. And there's a lot going on in the world today. You're joined by myself, Clancy Overall, and of course, Errol Parker. How are you, Errol? Good, mate. There's a, there's a lot going on in the world. We've got JobKeeper getting extended and reduced, and we've got labour identity crisis at the federal level. We've got a lot going on. Everyone seems to be forgetting that there is an election coming up in Queensland at the state level. To uh, talk about that today, we've in, uh, we've invited a guest in from, I guess, the, the Tuscan-like plains of South Brisbane. She's been in the media a lot recently. Jackie Trad, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Clancy and Errol. It's nice to talk to you, Jackie. Now, how, how are things feeling uh, right now in Queensland, like in southeast Queensland anyway? Obviously, out in the bush, no one really has felt this that much, apart from probably a few FIFO industries were kind of missing out on a lot of workers early days. And, and uh, you know, there were a few other restrictions that carried all the way out. They've got people, pubs in Augathella and even Batuta signing in before they go to the pub. And obviously the grey nomads and the, the tourism has disappeared in the bush. But other than that, the, the, we don't, don't have that feeling of uh, intense lockdown that you may have in Brisbane. How, how is the feeling? I think um, most people are looking at what's happening in Victoria with uh, a lot of concern. And uh, they're very grateful that we took swift early action in Queensland. So I'm getting really good feedback around the type of 
things that we did early in Queensland. Of course, we were the first jurisdiction to announce a public health emergency and Anastasia's been just terrific leading that response uh, with Stephen Miles, the Health Minister and Deputy Premier. So, uh, look, I think everyone's been very pleased with the government's response. Everyone's done the right thing in terms of maintaining social distance. But even if you're in the north or in the west, I think Queenslanders are united. They don't want to see a spread of coronavirus throughout the state. No, I don't think uh, anyone does, Jackie, which kind of leads us to our next question. Can you take us a bit inside what happened behind closed doors when you decided to uh, lock the rest of the country out and when you decided to let the rest of the country back in last week, except, of course, for the people of the cold south in Victoria? And some New South Wales hotspots. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> the cold southwest uh, of Sydney. Yes, that's right. As you know, Queenslanders... Um, they have a particular disposition when it comes to New South Welshmen. So um, I think uh, uh, we, a lot of people were very grateful that our borders were secure in order to make sure that we just didn't get a spread. Look, uh, we, um, uh, the Premier and the Health Minister have been working lockstep with the Chief Health Officer, um, Jeanette Young in Queensland. She's probably one of the most experienced Chief Health Officers in Australia Her advice has been absolutely spot on and uh, because of that and because of the great teamwork uh, here in Queensland, the decision to close the borders was, you know, very swift. It was very early. We were the first jurisdiction to do that and other jurisdictions followed. And sure, we copped a lot of flack. Uh, The Premier particularly copped a lot of flack, but there's been, I think, subsequent apologies and recognition that that was the right thing to do. I don't know how closely you work with the Attorney General of Queensland, but I just wanted to know if uh, you're still waiting for Pauline Hanson to take you down to the High Court um, to make you re- reopen the borders. You know, did any paperwork actually come come through? Uh, well, they gave it a red hot go, but I think it sort of stumbled once um, we saw an outbreak in Victoria. So that's. Um, I think that speaks volumes for the the type of challenge that it was. It was all a political stunt, right? right? And um, I think you also saw the federal government join in on that front. So I think it was was pretty poor form to want to spend a lot of taxpayer dollars on something that was always going to be, um, I think, futile. Uh, But in the end, I think rather than accept the scientific advice, rather than accept the medical advice, people were just political point scoring and you expect that in an election year right do you feel vindicated does it feel good to be vindicated by i mean obviously no one wants to be vindicated but like you know it it feels good to shut her up (laughs) Uh, look i I certainly think that the premier was due the apology she got from stefanovic yeah okay well it's good um Yep. It's good that Carl Stefanovic can uh, play the role as spokesperson for the One Nation Party that he platforms every week. Anyway, Not uh, anymore, though, Francie, not anymore. <laughs> no, it's only Channel 7. Speaking of kind of, uh, I guess, populism in in the news and, and, and populism in politics, for some reason you are in the crosshairs quite a lot and, and accused of this yourself. Particularly, I mean, there would be people listening to this podcast right now from our more... Uh, rural areas of Queensland who um, probably haven't even heard you say anything right now that makes them angry, but they're angry that we're talking to you. So it's a two-part question. One, 
Why are you quite often given the jobs as the you know member of the Queensland Cabinet to deal with so many issues in the bush? Because the moment they hear the word West End and uh, mm. Labor left, they probably get angry to begin with. Yep. There are lots of farmers out there who hear those words and associate that with a person who can't tell them that they can't run a chain between two D9s and clear a thousand acres out the back of Roma. Don't trat on me was a sign that was getting around a lot during the ECA a couple of years ago. Why is it that uh, you are running point on so many of these regional issues? To be frank, um, I don't think I have in recent times. I think that this has been a political campaign and there are quite clearly, I think, those people who are attached to political parties who want to use, I guess, the Labor Party's position on a number of things, whether that's land clearing, Mm -hmm. uh, tree clearing, whether it's about uh, improving regulations around the water runoff into the reef. Mm They want to devalue it in a way, to to dismiss it as part of the culture wars as opposed to something that we ought to do as a community and as a society if we want to see, you know, if we want to reduce emissions, if we want the Great Barrier Reef to survive, if we want to do all of these sorts of things. But I will say this, and that is that I don't think it's solely landholders that have the obligation and the responsibility around the things that we're talking about. You know, like we all live in a community where we consume stuff that requires the working of land. And so as consumers, we need to think better around that. As people who use cars and uh, contribute to carbon emissions, we need to think about our energy footprint. So I do want to say that I think the, the polarising part of the debate, where it's about focusing in on people and what they do on the land as Uh, as landholders as opposed to what we all do as a community and society has been unfair and that's certainly not the position that i take do you ever uh pick up a you know a copy of the courier mail and think what are they saying about me now uh so thankfully because we do live in the digital age uh (laughs) i can get uh i can get uh, a lot of news bulletins online and uh, i do get alerts so yeah uh you know quite clearly uh there's been views, whether that's conservatives uh, using mainstream media outlets uh, that want to put those positions. But at the end of the day, uh, that's what you sign up for in a public life, I suppose. Now, you mentioned before you're talking about kind of a multifaceted economy, which is um, refreshing to hear from a, a Labor Party uh, MP to kind of talk about those different things. But that perhaps that comes from your upbringing in a uh, you know small business owner family in, in, in the Gabba. Yeah. Um, you would have dealt a lot with, I guess, I mean, what was your family's operation there? So um, uh, like a lot of migrants, um, yep. it was in um, fruit and vegetable yep. retail. So it was yep. a small family business. You know, mum and dad did have uh, employees, but it was predominantly a family-run small business. Yep. Um, so for many years at the at the Gabba, just um, across from the uh, the mighty Gabba Stadium. Oh, so what 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 was formerly known as the Gabba Five Ways? Uh, so just a little bit up from the Gabba Five Ways, oh, actually. Um, I think we have a big bicycle shop there now. Near Laser that's going back. That's going back a long. That's going back a long time. It's going back a long way. L- laser Force. Uh, exactly. <laughs> Laser force. <laughs> yeah, so I remember when the when the freeway was built, and you know it was a it was a big deal. It it really did, I think, um, uh, divide up the Gabba and really uh, like erode its high street um, cultural identity. So yeah. 
And like um, many other um, prominent Queensland politicians before you, your family were of Lebanese background. I mean, we're talking specifically the member of Kennedy, but also, um, you know, there's been plenty of kind of Lebanese... Maronite family? You... Yep, yeah. yep, yep, Maronite um, family. And so were your parents migrants or were you second generation? I'm second generation. So mum and dad came out. Dad uh, dad came first mm-hmm. uh, and then mum came uh, a number of years later. So, and they, dad chose East Brisbane uh, to buy his first house and that's where we all grew up. Well, I suppose, you know, they do call Brisbane the Beirut of Australia. I mean, you know, like they are, <laughs> you know, they're both on the coast. They have a rich history, you know, the weather's largely the same, except I suppose you could say it's a bit more humid down there in Brisbane. Mm. But yeah, they do have quite a similar vibe, in my opinion. Uh, can I say, I've been to Beirut and uh, I've I'm been not there sure too. that they have <laughs> too you. Bad, um, yeah. But that was Maybe in Beirut about and... 2007. <laughs> no, the, uh, yeah, right. Brisbane's the Beirut of Australia and Beirut's the Paris of the Mediterranean. The Middle East. Yeah, yeah. the Middle East. Yep. Yeah. And what's Batuta? Batuta is, I guess you'd say... Uh, it's the jewel of the diamond tainer. Yeah. It's, Austra- <laughs> it's Australia's Australia. Yeah. It's Queensland's largest inland port down there on the Diamantina River. Beautiful. Now, yep. did, that, uh, did, you, did that kind of upbringing, did that lead you to politics? Or, uh, you know, has it instructed a lot of your personal or political values? Because you often do hear that um, Albanese, Plibersek say similar things, um, and that, they say that's what led them to the Labor Party. Yeah, we we always had. Um, well, I grew up um, with Dad always talking about politics with uh, his brothers. So he had a number of brothers and you know cousins and stuff. And of course, this was at the time of the Jockey Peterson government, but there was also a civil war in Lebanon. So there was also always something to talk about in a political sense, I suppose. Um, so I grew up around it and I, I think it was a huge contributor, huge contributor to me taking an active interest in politics, in current affairs, in what was happening in the world around me. Uh, and it shaped my thinking. Uh, so yes, it was, a, it was a big factor in drawing me to a political life. Is, is that something that you kind of was introduced to you really at university. I do know that you did go to Griffith, which is, you know, a real hotbed of the left-wing ideas in Brisbane, you know. So that's... that's In terms of universities in Brisbane, that's definitely the four triple Z, you know. It's, it's... Well, four triple Z came from UQ. <laughs> UQ. Yeah, but UQ has <laughs> changed a lot. They've just... They've, they've inserted so much overseas money into that university. It doesn't know where it is now. <laughs> She can't comment um, on that. Well, yeah, <laughs> as we saw in Fort So Griffith, look, Griffith, it, it's it's a great university. I really valued my education at Griffith University. Um, uh, you know, it, it did. It there was yeah, lots of critical thinking. There was lots of challenges around. Uh, how we perceive the world and I, I thought it was a great education and it's a real shame the type of graduate undergraduate degree that I did is now going to be attracting such a significant increase yeah. uh, in fees because of the Morrison government's decision. So that's, um, that's really disappointing and I know it's going to hit a lot of young students quite hard. Do you think that's because the government doesn't want 
young kids to grow up and think, you know, that, that they can become things like a journalist and, you know, perhaps write things that the government doesn't really like? Um, well, I just think it indicates that they don't value those types of courses. They don't value critical thinking. They don't um, value the role that a broad-based education plays. Um, I, I do think that we always need to produce people who are obviously not only skilled and can build our cities and maintain our cities and our um, our economy and can contribute in whatever professional sense that they can, but we also need critical thinkers, I think. And, you know, I think that's Australia's background, right? I think that's our ethos from the Eureka Stockade yeah. to arbitration system to the way our federation was set up and the real sense of egalitarianism and not just transposing British culture and British class society into Australia. We've always been critical and wanting to develop our own cultural identity, right? So yeah. I just think yeah. it's a natural extension that we should want our, want our kids, want our population, want our voters to be good critical thinkers. So what you're saying is not everyone in Australia can be a multi-million dollar glass balustrade insulation professional from the Cronulla Shire. <laughs> no, but you see the uh, key well, difference you can read is... read into my comments that. <laughs> the key difference on that is that, is that there are people like that who are having a go mm. and then our society is rewarding them by giving them a go. That's the key ethos that underpins this current government. Yeah. Is that... Perhaps if you've got a degree in, you know, art criticism, you're not really having a go. Yeah. I mean, because it's not, you know, a real job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't get a go. But, but if you do, like a sure, but like, but arts, but jobs in the creative industries is one of the fastest growing areas of job creation, or was before coronavirus. Anastasia um, got Tom so- Hanks. She got Tom Hanks <laughs> to Queensland. Hundred percent. Well, 100%. Got him there twice. <laughs> so, you know, and the federal government's just announced money for attracting the yeah. film industry to Australia. So on the one hand, you're saying these courses don't matter. But on the other hand, you're actually making, putting taxpayer funds into these industries in order to create uh, more economic diversity. So mm-hmm. it doesn't, what they're saying and what they're doing doesn't match up. And so, it's just feeding into the cultural so- wall, right? Yeah, you you don't so you don't think that Labor is a hundred percent opposed to goes <laughs> to just goes in general. Um, yeah, that would be the current rhetoric. Is that uh, Labor doesn't like goes? Yeah, and <laughs> do, do you think a go is easier to acquire under a Labor government? Because you know everyone needs to have a go in life. I just think that Scott Morrison makes it a bit easier. For, you know those. Ascot types with the weak jawlines who, you know, go to those types of schools. I think he makes it easier for them to go to these schools and to get goes. Where I I think it would be a fair assumption to say that under a Labor government, it is easier to get a go and goes are more widespread. We love giving goes away. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Goes are very important. Okay. Ah, uh, sweet. Well, it's good. Uh, it's good that everyone gets a go um, under both governments. Both both major parties are willing to give a go to anyone. Okay, we've we've, we've crossed that bridge. To- well, totally. And you know, I mean, coming from Batuta, you guys would know that um, 
young people in Batuta might not have as many opportunities to get a go as other people. So, you know, what what goes in southeast Queensland will not be the same as what goes in the Diamantina <laughs> Shire. Newsflash. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, and it's good to see Labor's starting to see that. Now, we were once a safe Labor seat when, um, you know, we had shearers out here that weren't Kiwi citizens. But um, now things have changed a lot and we've got um, federally, we've got Little Proud and we've got Mr Miller at a state level. Can you tell me a little bit um, about the factions in politics now? Because you see different members of different parties in, in Queensland and in the, the one house of Queensland. And they all seem like they could be from different parties. You know, there's there's progressives in the uh, LNP in Queensland who might look even like they're more closely aligned to you than they are to Deb. And then there's conservatives in your party. Do you find that um, like it's hard to be an individual as well in state politics in Queensland? Well, I think it, it's very interesting that we're having this discussion today because obviously you've seen the news that the father of the LNP has been dumped from the LNP Executive Council, Lawrence Brinborg. So, the Borg. Uh, obviously, <laughs> the Borg, he's gone. It's very sad. But I, I, I do think that um, what that really indicates is that inside the LNP, and you would have seen their, their ill-fated leadership mm-hmm. challenge that occurred just about a month ago too against... Um, Deb Frecklington. So what you have, I think, inside the LNP is a real internal tussle for authority within the party. Uh, Now, I think Deb exercised that authority, but I don't think she's actually fully delivered in terms of the organisation itself. So I think within the LNP, what you have is a split between the organisational arm with the parliamentary party. And also the LNP, let's be clear, there's no Liberals in Queensland anymore. There might be liberals, traditional liberals, but the LNP, you know, that's all been all of those sort of Liberal Party people who did agree with environmental policy or did agree with social policy. Some of them recently voted for uh, to take abortion out of the criminal code, for example. They got persecuted by their own party for exercising a conscience and for being true, I think, to their Liberal values. Yeah, I think what you see in Queensland is is not the same as New South Wales where there is a Liberal Party or Victoria where there is an actual Liberal Party. Yep. Uh, there are yep. no more Liberals within Queensland. It's so, all been absorbed within so, the LNP. So when do you think that change happened? That there were people in the Queensland LNP who had died in the wall, you know, just true blue Aussie Liberals, you know, like Howard's Battlers. And now they seem to be, you know, this collection of people who like to put a social issue before everything else? Oh, I think it's been, um, I don't think it's been on a set date. I think it has, Yeah. Um, I think it has been evolving over a number of years, but it's really clear that there are, you know, those within the LNP uh, who are very rigid, very extreme in their views around how society should be structured and what role women should play, for example. And it's those people who are trying to muscle up and exercise a level of authority. Um, and they're certainly the, the players that got stuck into Deb a little while ago. So do you find uh, like the personal freedoms that the, the Liberals once stood for, apart from when they took our guns away, um, they were <laughs> quite big on, you know, the individual right and you know, almost, I mean, a light libertarianism. That's all been kind of replaced by some sort of flat earther Christian creative science nonsense 
A hundred percent. I think. Oh, it's a big climb, Jackie. What you, <laughs> well, uh, I'm just putting it as it is. I mean, what you do have in Queensland is people who are prepared, uh, quite frankly, to... We have an LMP that wants to establish an anti-science task force in order to test out the scientific... Um, the scientific rigour of the CSIRO or departments within the state government agencies. They do not want to accept the science. (laughs) So if they can establish an anti-science agency, then they've got some background to their lunacy, some sort of, um, I think, um, you know, third-party endorsement to their lunacy. Do you think this has come out of their base? Are these people representative of the people who are electing them? Like, is is that where the change could have happened? Like, do you think that these are the views of, you know, common Queenslanders who think that we do need to take a second look into the science behind the bleaching of the Great Barrier Reef? <laughs> um, I... I uh, I think a vast majority of Australians actually do believe in the science. I think where the tension is, is is how do we address the things that we need to in order to uh, make sure that our economy thrives and everybody within the economy thrives and we protect the Great Barrier Reef or protect the environment. I just think it's a convenient and opportunistic excuse for a political party like the LNP to rather than engage in the hard work that's required, just blame the science yeah. or question the yeah. science. Can I ask you what your opinion was on the um, anti-Adani caravan? You know, that at the federal election, we saw a bunch of people from, you know, Victoria and New South Wales convoy up to central Queensland to basically tell them that they don't need jobs. They can basically go without this giant project that that was going to inject millions of dollars into the local state and federal economies do you think that was the right thing to do like say for example if sort of bob brown coming into central queensland and telling people how how to think um so errol i am after the federal election i think it's fair to say that a lot of people were really confused and a lot of people were really sad and, and depressed about the outcome, quite frankly, because they thought that this was an election where we could get a, a, a national policy setting around climate change and we just failed, right? Yeah. I think the convoy played a role in that, quite frankly. I did think the convoy, and I said this, I published on Facebook my position around this, I, I don't think it did any good to have people from outside the state, outside local communities, driving into local communities and saying and blaming them, saying, you're the reason for climate change, you have to, you're the ones who need to change, and not looking at what they themselves are contributing. I mean, it, it is quite ironic, I think, that uh, they were all in cars driving up <laughs> to yeah. central Queensland to deliver a message around carbon emissions when they were contributing to carbon emissions through their convoy. And oh. that that sort of divisive politics is what's stopping us from advancing as a nation on climate change and on economic inclusion and equality. Yeah. Well, as we saw in the fallout of that election, um, a lot of people around the country who weren't pleased with the result, they were blaming Queensland. Do you think that they were 
they were right in doing that? Or is this just another case of people around the country looking to Queensland as a whipping boy for something? So there was uh, all of that um, angst directed to Queensland, I think, again, uh, was I think it's just simplistic and it was opportunistic. There are real uh, structural issues in terms of regional economies um, and you guys would see it in Batuta, but it's happening everywhere. Um, whether that's mining companies uh, not building towns anymore, but just having FIFO workers yeah. and Dodo workers. Yeah. Um, communities are really suffering from a different way of doing business in regional Queensland's, Queensland and regional economies. And that's creating a lot of uh, anxiety and fear. For example, uh, there's many... Um, large companies, many mining companies, that put their workforce on um, contract labour. So they're not taking up any of, the, any of the liability when it comes to proper wages and conditions and holiday pay and sick leave and all of that sort of stuff. So they're transferring that risk. And a lot of these workers are in insecure work. They're hired on on casual rates, they don't get the type of profit, proper leave arrangements and conditions and entitlements that most other Australians enjoy. And that's leading to a level of anxiety. So by people in other states not actually understanding what's happening in regional Queensland and just simply blaming them for a particular outcome, I think it's rubbish. Um, and one of the best analysis I have to say around what happened in Queensland during the federal last federal election was written by... I think it's Blaine um, Leake who wrote for The Monthly and he did a really long essay in, uh, and it was titled How Good Is Queensland? And he went around and he talked to people in regional Queensland at depth, uh, in depth around what they felt during the federal election. And I think, it was really, I think it was really useful. There's a lot of concern out there and those concerns need to be understood if we're going to move forward. I mean, you're also dealing with, I mean, obviously Labor is an underdog uh, in many capacities, even when they're in power, purely because of, uh, you know, the third parties that are more aligned with the LNP or the Liberals. Uh, namely, obviously, you've got the uh, the 70% of the Australian media market is uh, owned by a man in New York who doesn't have much time for your you or your movement. And then, of course, you've got Clive Palmer, who is throwing himself in the mix with no intention of ever getting elected. What, and what, the Greens. And, and, and of course, the Greens, who still have your votes. But now we've got this funny scenario now where Anastasia Palaszczuk, who, after the federal election result, was put on the front page of a Murdoch newspaper in Queensland where they put her in a crosshair and said, you're next. And she, in the face of all of that, and you know, we, we are an apolitical organization but we have to say we are impressed by the fact that she's still uh polling better than deb frecklington do you do you have to say like what do you have to say about that is the lnp in queensland that shit that they can't win with all the odds in their favor i think that's testament to the type of uh strong leader that anastasia is i mean in this business and uh there's evidence of this right across the board uh, you get attacked from every quarter and it doesn't, um, it's pretty, I think it's pretty rattling to wake up in the morning and see your face with a crosshair 
over the top, superimposed with that sort of messaging. Uh, that paper did publish an apology, but um, you know, quite frankly, it was it was outrageous, and it should never have gotten through the editorial decision making. Um, anyway, so Anastasia stood up uh, to that type of, I would say, intimidation, and here she is today, and she's leading this state, and she's done just the best job around the coronavirus. So, I think more than anything, it's um it's a testament to the type of leader she is. Yeah, because I think uh, the front pages of the Courier Mail have really regressed a lot since, you know, those days where they used to put, what's his name? Peter Beattie. Peter Beattie. <laughs> Pete, that was probably a Courier Mail um, highlight was yeah. when uh, Kevin uh, announced Peter Beattie was running for a seat at the last Labor Labor's outgoing election and they put Peter Beattie in a full clown costume and said, bring in the clown. That was... Um, <laughs> That was some good editorial work there. Um, Also, um, Luke Foley, New South Wales, when they called him Luke Foliage and made him a koala on a tree because he was was trying to protect their sanctuaries in the mid-north coast. There's some good. Yeah. There's some good journalism out there. Obviously, we uh, we we make up part of that. We're not owned by Murdoch, but we have been critical of you, uh, Jackie. We've referred to you as a modern day Russell Hins, and um, we've called the Queensland Premier Joanna, which was all part of it when, when it came to the um, the laws for arresting protesters. Now, how did you feel about that during those uh, Extinction Rebellion protests when your own government was passing laws to, to lock up protesters? When we know once upon a time, and, and probably very recently, you were on the front line yourself uh, protesting certain things in the street as a law-abiding demonstrator. Do you, did you ever get arrested uh, protesting against Joe? <laughs> I didn't get arrested protesting against Joe. I'm just a little bit too young for Joe Bjorki Peterson. But I will tell you, my first protest was against the Federal Labor Government, um, Hawking. Right. Whoa, okay. Oh, and that was about the introduction of Hex. Hex, yeah. Um, Yeah, so you were right there with Joe Hockey. (laughs) (laughs) Although he was down at the University of Sydney, wasn't he? (laughs) You and Joe Hockey fighting against the common cause. We're going to ask some more big questions, some some hard-hitting questions. But we'll, firstly, we'll give you a chance to humanise yourself as a politician and a member of the political mm-hmm. class. What is your favourite album? Born to Run. Oh, okay. What's your favourite Queensland album? My favourite Queensland album? Oh, God. Um, I'll have to come back to you on that. Uh, it's, it's a great album named after the uh, street you grew up on. I don't know. A Vulture Street. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. But I also have the go-betweens bridge in my electorate as well. So, okay. you know, there's a there's a tension there. Okay, and favourite movie. But I love Powderfinger. Yeah, love Powderfinger. You got it. You, you, you're Queensland. You have to. Um, favourite movie. Favourite movie. Um, Albanese said The Godfather. Uh, yes, that's a, that's a great movie. Yeah. Um, uh, I always love watching Blindside. Okay. Is that right. is that sappy? That's yeah. yeah no. That's a good one. Yeah. Bit of sandball. I yeah. like that. Bit of football. <laughs> a lot of parallels between that story and some of the happenings at the Brisbane Broncos of late. Now we're going to ask the big questions. Now you've recently been yep. investigated by the Triple C, the uh, Queensland version of ICAC, of which there is currently not an agency. Um, similar to that federally, but there has been, uh, for years, there's been... Maybe one day. One day there'll be a federal ICAC, but there's an ICAC in South Australia, there's an ICAC 
in New South Wales, and there's the Triple C in Queensland. Now, you've mentioned the culture wars a lot throughout this interview, and and the culture wars can be to blame for almost any political uh, teacup storm. But can you can you explain how you ended up in uh, in the centre of an investigation, uh, or an independent uh, corruption watchdog investigation? Mm, independent. Um, So uh, Clancy, a complaint was made and um, the Triple C assesses all complaints that are made to their organisation. I want to put on the record that the Triple C is a a body that was formed out of the Fitzgerald Inquiry. So it has a really um, important role to play in making sure that corruption doesn't take hold in Queensland as it did once upon a time under the National Party uh, when they were in government for a long period of time. So a a complaint was made. Um, That complaint first came through uh, the Liberal National Party opposition office and they uh, publicised that quite widely and sent the complaint through to the Triple C. Uh, the Triple C, in their initial assessment, decided they want to have they wanted to have a better look at it and conducted an investigation, and that's how that happened. But essentially, it was over the uh, allegation that um, I interfered in the uh, recruitment or no, the selection, sorry, of a principal for a high school uh, being built in my community. Uh, what the Triple C found was that that was not the case. I did not politically interfere, unduly interfere. I had no, um, there was no intention, dishonest intention. So it was quite a gruelling episode, but um, uh, the Triple C found that I had been telling the truth from the outset. It was interesting when I heard that, when we learnt that you had been referred to the Triple C over the new Dutton Park uh, High Rise South Brisbane High School, Mm -hmm. because I actually thought you'd be getting investigated for the fact that that high school had to demolish Ribbits, which was a famous all-you-can-eat restaurant. Uh, Now, just a figment of history in uh, South Brisbane uh, due to this high school. I thought they'd be investigated. That was my favourite restaurant. That was the first place I used to go to when I got out of Boggo Road. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say that um, during my time, I have had more representation about Ribbits (laughs) <laughs> than I have about almost anything. It was a it was a much much loved restaurant, can I say? And it's a shame that it it um, it's no longer there. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's gone to the big maybe it can be recreated car park in the sky <laughs> alongside all the sizzlers. It's gone to all the big salad bar in the sky. All the hogs breaths, they're all gone. Ballet hoggies, they're all slowly going. Queensland's going to be. There's just no hogs fatality in Queensland anymore. No. Just one last question before we let you go, Jackie. Now that, that you've been cleared by the Triple C, when are the people of Queensland going to see you back in Cabinet? This year, next year? No, look, so, ultimately that's so. in the hands of the people of South Brisbane and my caucus colleagues after the election. But, like, I've got a, I've got a big challenge on my, hand and that's what, on my hands and that's what I'm focused on. Mm-hmm. Um, South Brisbane is a, you know, it's a rapidly evolving, changing seat and... Um, my job is to put the best case forward for my return and the return of the Palaszczuk Labor government, and that's what I'm going to be focused on. Mm-hmm. Can we just ask, um, what is that, is that a concern that some, some of the safe uh, inner city Labor seats will be lost to white men with dreadlocks? <laughs> 
<laughs> Look, there's no doubt that the seat has changed. You know, like when I grew up here, it was a long time ago, I'm not going to tell you how long ago, you know, it, it, it wasn't the place to live. It wasn't suburbia. It was near the river. There were mosquitoes. There were lots of new migrants. It was, um, uh, you know, there was smelly wog food and stuff like that. So it wasn't the desirable place to live. Um, and there was a lot of industry, a lot of workers' cottages, uh, and now there is a significant gentrification and um, it's a it's a different conversation you need to have with people when they don't rely upon government and government intervention as much as they do. So you're saying that the people of West End and Highgate Hill are so entitled that they uh, don't think you're green enough? Uh, that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> that is definitely not what I'm saying. And and the other thing, the the interesting dimension about coronavirus, and you opened by saying that JobKeeper is being extended, and uh, we saw that JobSeeker is going to be extended today, but reduced. A lot of people in my community, regardless of what suburb in my community, they have been hit yep. by COVID yep. economic shutdown, and there's a lot of young workers who um, who missed out on JobKeeper. They're on JobSeeker, trying to get a foothold back into the economy. Mm. So these are these are the big issues that I'll be talking to my community about going forward into the election. Do you reckon Labor's going to play a much bigger role in Australian politics in the wake of this um, this global pandemic? I absolutely think how the economy is shaped, the the fairness, the inclusion, the equality within the economy is going to be a key issue. You know, I, I've I've looked at some of the metrics around those people who are withdrawing their super. Last financial year, this financial year, I understand people's desperation, but it just is deferring the desperation or deferring a level of um, of poverty or less income or less equality, more inequality uh, during retirement. So I, I, you know, I do worry about those sorts of economic measures that the Commonwealth government has put forward. So I think Labor's got a big job ahead of it in terms of being part of the national debate around a, a fairer economy around a more inclusive economy. And um, I absolutely think Albo and Jim Chalmers are up to it. Well, that's a good note to end on, Jackie. Uh, I'd just like to thank you for your time today and I look forward to catching up with you outside the rumpus room in in West End. <laughs> Soon, sooner rather than later. That's one venue that hasn't gentrified. They got rid of the vinyl floors at the Boundary Hotel. but well, uh, You can't get rid of the big trees outside the rumpus room no, in West no, End. I'll tell you no. Thank you for joining what us. And um, thank you for allowing us to lead you down certain traps which you've managed to um, evade. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jackie. And to wrap up today's show, we're going to depart a little bit from the usual format on the Batuta Advocate radio show. Given all the conversations we've had about rock music and protest in the River City, we're going to finish today with a Queensland protest rock song by Dan Rennie. Paddy McHugh featuring Glenn Skewthorpe. This is called Can You Hear Us? It's a powerful tribute and anthem to those who have lost their lives at the hands of the criminal justice system. Take it away, boys. Someone's daughter, Nathan Reynolds and Melissa Dunn, Eddie Russell, someone's son, Malcolm Smith and Roy James Boney, Joyce Clark, who was 
someone tiny, tiny Chatfield and Bradley Cool. Money soft, it was someone's uncle. Bruce Liz and Marie Mandajara. Milton Wells, it was someone's father. Clarence Neen, Veronica Baxter. Muriel Binks, someone's mother. Can you? 